Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So I was on a hitchhiking adventure from BC, Canada to Antigua, Guatemala, which started in September of 2019. And this story is taken from the notes in my journal, which I wrote as soon as I could after this insane experience. Now, if you've ever hitchhiked before, then you know just how amazing it is and how many cool people you can meet. Out of the thousands of rides across 40 countries, and out of the thousands of rides across 40 countries, I've only had two bad and or dangerous encounters thumbing it. And this was my second one. So I was taking a break from traveling to find weed trim work in California's Nevada City. A beautiful little town with a very interesting crowd. But I got stuck a few towns over for not getting a ride all day. I ended up sleeping a night at the Love's gas station which I had done plenty of times before. I've slept in worse places and at least Love's has a bathroom. In the morning I was just a little more desperate to accept rides because nobody was stopping. And it had already been a whole day at this point. I just wanted to get out of here if I'm being honest. The pickup truck is speeding past me and slams the brakes ahead, then slowly backs up at one point. Inside is a man and a woman in their late 50s and he says in a husky voice, Where are you headed, boy? Uh, Nevada City, but any distance helps. Well, get on in. We're going to Yuba. They seem normal enough, even without most of their teeth and hair, so... I jumped in and it all happened in rapid succession. One, I tossed my bag in the back and jumped in. Two, I shut the door. Three, I notice a pile of guns and bullets on the floor. And four, before I have time to rethink my decision, we speed off. So, as I'm trying to assess whether or not I'm in danger, they start telling me how this guy just got out of jail for aggravated assault how he beat that guy so bad that he can't think straight no more and they just both laugh. She's holding his seatbelt over his chest, they both smell terrible and they start asking how much money I have and I think, yep, I'm definitely not safe here. After hitchhiking all this way, I don't look particularly wealthy, 
I'm filthy, I need a shower, I look no different than the stereotypical homeless guy, if I'm being honest. So I try to seem more poor than I am and more tough than I am too. So I tell them, yeah, I'm pretty broke, man. That's why I'm going to the city. I'm hoping to make some cash trimming. The man looks me in the eye. Well, you'll find it all right. You'll find it good. Don't be afraid to do no dirty work. If people try and they'll try to mess with you, you mess with them first. You get what I'm saying? Put your eyes on the damn road. The woman points forward and he swerves back to the right lane. He asks me if I smoke, and knowing that California has legalized weed, I put two and two together. He's offering me a joint. So I say, uh, yeah, I smoke. With a wild look in his eyes, he exclaims, great, and we turn off the highway and start down a dirt road. I'm more than worried, and I look behind us. In the back of the truck is my bag, a chainsaw, a pickaxe, and a plastic tarp over something. And that didn't help my anxiety, that's for sure. Finally though, we stop on the front of a clearing. The woman takes out, not a joint, but a meth pipe. It's the first time that I've seen a meth pipe too, and a lot of things start to make sense. While he lights up and exhales into the car, I've never seen smoke so white. I roll the window down as fast as possible because I really don't want to smoke that the woman takes them as well and they tell me how they're going to collect money that a woman owes them or something now that woman's gonna pay today one way or another damn straight she better have that money i'm gonna grab her and say where's my money oh she'll have it all right she'll have it or else say son you ever steal something because we could make twenty thousand dollars today exactly how to answer this guy and he repeats $20,000 today and then he says here smoke some of this and hands me the pipe nothing like meth ain't that right I gently reject it and say that meth's not really my thing which he surprisingly takes well and smokes some more before putting it away and driving off back towards the highway his driving is terrible now too swerving speeding hitting brakes abruptly and starts trying to convince me to help them steal marijuana plants yeah you hold my gun and i'll drill the hole and i'll keep a lookout yeah she'll keep a lookout now you've got to be careful if you hear the dogs though because those guys are nasty nasty see this bite and he reveals what looks like a terrible scar on his arm I didn't really know how to get out of this situation at this point, so I sounded as confident as possible and said that I was meeting a friend to look for work together and they'd be expecting me today. We near the end of Yuba City where they pull over to the side. Well, it's your funeral. Are you sure you don't want to eat? Fine by me, but if you ever want that cash, just give us a call. Hands me his number. Heck no, I think. But I say... Uh, thanks, yeah, I will, while quickly retrieving my bag and smiling nervously. The woman says with a wave, take care now, God bless, and then they speed off. At this point, I'm standing on the side of the road just thinking, what the heck was that? And I am very happy to be out of that car. I really don't know what was under that tarp, and who knows, maybe I don't want to know, but... 
I think that they were very serious about robbing whoever it was that they were saying that they were going to rob. Like I said earlier though, it's one of only two times that I've honestly felt like my life was in danger. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Wendell was a panhandler near my college. I always gave him my change when I had extra. Usually I keep a hard rule not to give money to individuals because I give it to known local charities instead where I can be sure that the money is going to a specific cause. This one panhandler though, he always sang opera music, but quite beautifully as well, all things considered. Even though it was clear that he was begging for money due to poverty and homelessness, not busking for tips, I always thought that it was admirable that he was trying to perform a service in exchange for money, and I don't like carrying coins, so I gave him what I could. It wasn't much, barely a dollar each time, if that. But I would occasionally strike up conversations with Wendell, even if I didn't have any money for him. He actually liked to make students laugh with funny impressions or jokes. He was a bit older, I'm like an undergrad, he was probably 40s or 50s. So we'd mostly just have quick chats about the news or the weather or whatever it was, and nothing deep and then I'd be on my way. Sometimes, though, he would just randomly share something so intimate that I'd feel obligated to reciprocate with something at least superficially personal. For example, he'd blurt out things like he'd almost went to college on a baseball scholarship, but drugs ruined everything. I would be like, oh wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. I play volleyball. Not for a scholarship, though. See you around, okay? Once though, Wendell called me over while I was walking with a professor, my advisor, and I didn't want to be rude, so I went over to just say a quick hello and introduce my advisor. When we walked away, my advisor was pretty clearly horrified and asked why Wendell knew me by my name. I explained our little friendship, and he said that the homeless in the city weren't like the homeless in my smaller town back home. I figured that he was being a bit of an elitist and I think that he could tell that I hadn't taken him seriously because after we dropped the subject, just before I left, he reiterated that I shouldn't forge friendships with the homeless population in this city or even give them money because the chronically homeless, the ones on the streets enough that you could get to know them, tended to have criminal or addictive histories. I was surprised because my advisor is usually pretty progressive and compassionate so I appealed to him with, Wendell is a victim of a post-capitalist society, and all the other things that I'd learned in his very own classes, but he wasn't having any of it. 
basically saying that however Wendell became chronically homeless, but now he was, and uh, I should act accordingly. So my professor strongly implored me not to continue even talking to Wendell, like at all. I kind of shook my head thinking, okay boomer, and if anything, felt fortified by the warning, like it was a confirmation that I was a radical doing the right thing, leading a new path, breaking down barriers, battering society. I got closer to Wendell as well, and I shared more about my life with him. But the very next time that I talked to Wendell, he was really irritable and distant, and I just wasn't sure why. Until he said, So, your boyfriend, huh? You two live together or what? I had no idea what he was talking about, but I said, What boyfriend? And he said, The guy I met from yesterday that you were walking down the street with. I laughed at this, explaining that it wasn't my boyfriend. It was just my academic advisor. Then, all of a sudden, he just wasn't irritable anymore. He was chatty as he'd ever been. I probably should have taken that as a red flag, I know, but I didn't think about Wendell much at all then. In fact, I only really saw him once or twice a week, and only for a few minutes. It was around then, though, that Wendell started bringing me gifts. I'd pass him and he'd have a flower for me or a metal machine piece and I never refused because I figured it was a means of preserving his dignity when accepting money, like with his opera singing. One of my roommates though did remark on the flower once and when I explained she said that it was weird. I thought that she was just being elitist as well and that I was enlightened, bridging the class divide and superior to her neoliberal paranoia. I mean, come on, it was just a flower, right? My advisor clocked onto all of this, so brought it up with me again a while later, saying that he was worried that I was being manipulated. I tried to tell him about Wendell's opera singing and impressions and how he even almost went to college, but then I remembered the reason that he lost his baseball scholarship and I sort of stopped short. But looking at it through that lens kind of made me reconsider the whole thing. I thought about what my professor had said, Sparing the details, we would talk for like half an hour and I finally connected the dots that Wendell did have a history of drug use and he did sometimes mention how a previous girlfriend overreacted to something that he'd done and it had derailed his life besides the drugs. And so I decided that maybe I should think about distancing myself, even just a little bit. But very shortly after... The pandemic hit and classes went virtual, so to save on rent, I went home to my parents' house, still in the state but not near campus at all. About three weeks into being home, I was watching a friend's Insta story when I heard Wendell singing opera in the background and I thought, oh yeah, I forgot all about him, I hope he's doing okay. That was that and I just kept watching different stories. Later that night though, Something about the story just kind of stuck in my gut. It had popped into my mind a few times subconsciously and I'd ignored it but it just kept coming back so I decided that I should go and watch it again. That's when I realized that my friend's video wasn't from our college town. In fact it was from my much smaller hometown which is nowhere near my college. I'll admit that that freaked me out a bit but... I figured everyone moved around when the pandemic hit, so my town isn't that small as well. It isn't that far from the college, 
It was probably a coincidence. I really wanted to mention it to my parents, but they had always warned me against talking to the homeless. Besides something like, you know, can I buy you a meal or something. So I just felt too embarrassed to explain the situation to them. Especially since it was probably a coincidence and I would sound so conceited if I were like, hey, he definitely followed me because aren't I just so great that he's probably obsessed with me. We have a type 1 diabetic in the family too, so we took quarantining pretty seriously. I figured too that I'll never see him anyways. I'm not going out anytime soon, so it doesn't matter where he is. And nothing ever happened. Well... Except one thing. You see, a girl from high school who also ended up at my college called me and in summary said, this is going to sound really weird but I feel like I should say something. I was downtown and a beggar asked me about you, like specifically you. He knew that you were on club volleyball and he knew you are a major. I didn't tell him anything but I just thought that you should know. I was pretty alarmed at first because, well how would he know that I know this girl? But once we talked, I learned that she'd been wearing a sweatshirt from her college, so I thought about it and decided that he probably saw that sweatshirt, figured that she might know me from college since we were both from this town, and was just trying to find out how I was doing. I thought that it was sweet, in fact. Although a little weird, I admit, but he was a little weird. That was a part of his charm. I thanked her, but told her not to worry about it. Besides, I wasn't in town much longer anyways. I decided to go and live back near campus. It was impossible to get my coursework done with my family around all day, so it was going to happen. And I went back to campus a while later. Didn't think about Wendell at all. Until I saw him back on the same corner just a week after I returned to campus. And this time, even I knew that something was wrong. It was at this point that... I stopped giving him money, stopped talking to him, but I was just so humiliated by how high and mighty I'd been insisting that nothing was wrong and everyone else was being paranoid and elitist that I decided not to tell anyone about what I had noticed. I was already barely leaving my apartment anyway, never going on campus, and his usual spot was right by campus. I felt bad about potentially hurting his feelings or reading too far into the situation, but I figured that he'd get the message and better safe than sorry, right? After finals, I decided to visit my brother too, in a different state. His roommate had moved home, leaving an extra bed, so I drove to his place to celebrate the end of the year and get away from it all. And it must have been about the ninth day in when I was woken up way earlier than usual, when my brother isn't working or in school, he sleeps until noon, to the sound of my brother talking at the door. I sort of groggily got up to see what was going on because we weren't seeing anyone. We stayed totally quarantined. His state was being hit pretty hard. My brother was talking nicely to somebody outside through a crack in the door, but when he turned to look at me, he looked royally annoyed at me. He turned back outside and said, I'll hold on here closed the door despite the other guy protesting but I couldn't hear what he said exactly. My brother immediately got in my face and whisper yelled, mum and dad are going to kill you. I had no idea what he was talking about at first but my first thought was that the cops had come to arrest me for something. 
I mean, it was the only logical thought that I could generate first thing in the morning. And the only thing that I could imagine being arrested for was my fake ID, which I only ever used to get into concerts and obviously none lately. So I was actually in a, a lot of shock. But my brother was still going, and as best as I can remember because I was panicked at this point, he was saying, and I'm going to kill you. This is so not cool. You didn't even ask. I wouldn't have said yes anyways, but you didn't even think to ask. I realized then that that didn't align with being arrested, so finally I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, you're dating a 40-year-old guy? Older? 45 maybe? Of all the people out there. I mean, come on. Dad's going to kill you and then have a heart attack and die again, which will kill mum. And you invited him to my house while we're supposed to be social distancing? You two have to go to a hotel because he isn't coming in here, alright? I wasn't mean to him out of respect for you, but if he doesn't leave now, that's going to change. I had no idea what he was talking about. None still. I hadn't connected any of the pieces yet. Because you've got to remember that Wendell was such a small part of my life until this point. I almost never saw him and even thought about him. My whole world had been turned upside down by a pandemic in the preceding few months. He was background noise. Faint background noise, in fact. Compared to all the other stuff that had been going on anyway. So I just said the first thing that came to mind. Dude, I don't know why you're getting so mad at me. I, I don't have a boyfriend. I don't know what you're talking about. Someone's got the wrong house, okay? My brother looked like he was ready to rip my face off. And he said... We're adults, come on, don't lie to me. I'm not mum and dad. We can't deal with this if you're going to lie to my face. And I said that I wasn't lying. And I think he could tell from my expression and tone that I was genuinely serious too. So now, he was as confused and irritated as I was. And he was like, but he didn't just vaguely say that he was here for his girlfriend. He used your name. He rattled off a, a ton of very exact info. I think he said you, uh, yeah, he said you guys had a, a fight and he was here to work things out. Now, I've been looking for a boyfriend for a long time, I'll admit, so I was half thinking, huh, maybe dreams do come true, might as well see who it is. But I was also starting to feel a, a bit sick in the pit of my stomach for some reason, because it would be one thing if this happened on campus or back home, but I had changed states. My brother moved to this state for school and I don't know anyone here but him and his friends. So I finally did the obvious thing and looked through the peephole. And I almost didn't recognize him at first because he had showered, shaved and changed into clean clothes for the first time since I had known him. But sure as heck, it was Wendell standing on my brother's doorstep hundreds of miles from his original corner. I was honestly so scared that I couldn't even speak. My heart was pounding like I was slipping under deep water with my legs tied. I just backed away from the door and I sat on the couch and tried to collect myself. My brother thought that it was my affirming that there really was some secret older boyfriend who had just made himself known. So it took a minute for him to cut off his ranting and his dramatic what will grandma think stuff. But finally he realized that I was tearing up and he sat down calmed down and apologized and said that we'd figure it out 
and I whispered, still out of breath, No, you don't understand. He followed me here. My brother still didn't get it, and he said, What? You didn't want him to come here? What was your fight about? Still thinking this guy was my boyfriend. I managed to repress my panic enough to explain the broad strokes to him, but I don't think he fully grasped just how creepy it was in the moment, because he was like, You're kidding me. That's hilarious. I'll take care of this. He went to the door and called from behind it. Hey, uh, just checked. She's not here. Must have packed out this morning. And listen, you should do the same, okay? I'm taking this social distancing thing real serious, alright? And he winked at me. That's when, as my brother says when he tells this story, it got real. Wendell then said, You're lying. I heard her in there. Tell her I'm sorry. I don't know why she's been avoiding me, but I got cleaned up for her and I'll take her anywhere that she wants to go. Tell her that. Tell her and, and don't lie. I'll know if you lie. That rubbed my brother the wrong way and he said, Bro, you're not taking her anywhere. Now get off my deck before we have a problem. And Wendell sounded like he was walking away, but instead he was going over to the window. When I saw him staring... He looked different than I had ever seen him. Even then a few seconds earlier when I glanced through the peephole, his clothes were clean but they didn't fit or match. Eyes were bugged out of his head. White stuff caked on the corner of his mouth I hadn't noticed at first. Shaking, just kind of disconnected from reality. He started banging on the window, shouting things like, That's my girlfriend, you can't keep her in there. Let her out. Let her out. I'm coming, baby. I'm coming. I couldn't tell if it was meant as a threat or as reassurance. I was so scared. I, I was too scared to run or even move. I think my brother was almost as surprised by the sudden outburst as I was. He was rolling up his sleeves like he was preparing to go out there and I was trying to make my voice work to beg him not to. But I was anxious, scared, embarrassed, and sad that I had missed all the signs leading up to this, all the opportunities to prevent it, that our friendship was never the wholesome thing that I thought it was. Though, of course, that's something that I had already begun to grapple with before this day, and just had so many thoughts swirling in my head, fear being chief among them. All I could do in the end was scream. Not words, just noise and cover my ears to drown the whole situation out. Before my brother could charge out the door, he's an athletic guy, but I don't think he's ever actually been in a physical fight, Wendell punched through the window. Nothing actually happened when he punched though, and there was an eerie moment of silence where just nobody moved. I think even I stopped screaming. But when he pulled his hand back, all hell just broke loose. A fair amount of blood started spurting out when he pulled his hand back through the glass. The things that he was shouting started to make even less sense along the lines of, look what you did to me, this is a test, I told you I couldn't be stopped. And the look in his eyes just got even more distant. I think the sight of blood, which had always made my brother really squeamish, made him realize that this was real. And he finally yelled at me to call 911 while he leaned against the door, which Wendell was now repeatedly running into, even though he was nowhere close to breaking it down. To this day, too, I honestly don't even remember making the call, but 
Apparently I did because within 10 minutes, the police arrested Wendell without resistance. He kept trying to tell them that his girlfriend was trapped in the house and he'd come all this way to save her. And my poor brother was even momentarily handcuffed and had to explain that he hadn't taken me hostage. And probably one of the most haunting memories of the whole event is that as they carted Wendell away for a rest, he started singing opera music. I must say too that I've learned a lot of important common sense and life lessons from this whole saga. This happened when both me and my friend Jay were 15. I was spending the night at his house, as I often did. It was a normal enough night, we watched movies, played a couple of video games and stayed up way too late. It must have been about 2am I think when we heard a loud banging coming from the front door. Luckily at that time we were in his kitchen at the back of the house so no one could see us. But we were spooked because there shouldn't have been anyone at the door at this hour but we figured that it must have been just some sort of a drunk person and they would go away soon enough. After about 30 seconds there was more banging on the door though and yelling that neither of us could actually understand. It sounded like an adult man and he sounded angry so we were both pretty scared at this point. He texted his mum who we thought was upstairs but she said that she had left a bit before without saying anything. She did that often enough. She liked to go to her friend's house in the middle of the night sometimes so we didn't pay any attention or notice when she left. But at this point we honestly didn't know what to do as... We were scared to call the police based off of past experiences with cops in our small town being not the best. So we turned off the kitchen light and we sort of ducked down on the ground. We heard the banging and yelling getting louder and I decided to see who it was, if it was anybody that we knew. I sort of army crawled through the dining room which was also dark and peeked through the door to the living room which is where the front door was. There's also a huge window by the door that you can see right into the dining room through, so I was pretty careful not to be seen. I couldn't really see any details of the man, but he looked to be about six feet tall and definitely had grey hair. I crawled back to Jay and we quietly decided what to do next. We heard the knowing stop, so we decided to wait a bit before seeing if it was safe. We also decided to go under the table in the dining room in case he tried to come around the back or something, which is where the kitchen was. After around 10 minutes of silence, we rock, paper, scissored for who had to check if he was there, and of course I lost. So I again army crawled to the dining room door, and I saw the man staring through the window, hands cupped against the glass, and this time I made eye contact with him the moment that he saw me and I loudly said, oh crap, causing my friend to panic and crawl behind me. I saw him pull out his phone, and he told me later that he was texting his mum to come home and save us. The man started yelling again, and this time we could make out a bit more of what he was actually saying. It was mostly cussing, although I definitely heard the phrase, I'm going to kill you, in there a couple of times at least. I quickly looked past the man to see if any of the neighbours seemed to notice him, but no such luck. I crawled back out of his sight and again discussed what to do with my friend. We decided at this point to go into the basement for safety, which you could get to by moving the fridge. 
A really confusing house, I know, but it was really old and not meant for modern-sized appliances. But we pull out the fridge and we get into the basement, feeling mostly safe but still pretty terrified. It was at this point, too, that I actually start having a panic attack, although I'm trying to hold it together as best as I can for Jay, who was also on the verge of a panic attack. When we hear a gunshot and shattering glass from above us. I cover my mouth so I don't scream. Jay and I looked at each other terrified and we hear loud footsteps and yelling above us, the man asking where we went. We hear him going upstairs and running around up there a bit. He eventually comes back down and starts turning over furniture, I'm assuming to find us. After what felt like hours, but must have been only minutes, Jay's mum pulls into the driveway, which thankfully scares this guy as he runs out the back door in the kitchen. Jay and I get out of the basement and we run to greet his mum, never happier to see her. She was obviously quite shocked by the state of the house and she hugged us, happy that we were safe and scared by just how close we were to being hurt. We were all pretty scared after that and we didn't sleep much that night. But after that night they had much better security installed and we went over the safety protocol if anything ever happened again. And luckily for us it hasn't happened again yet. Although when I do go over his house from time to time I'm still pretty scared by it all. In the end too we never really called the police too because we knew that there wasn't much they could have done anyway just pretty much cleaned up and moved on, which tends to be what they do all the time anyway. This happened 24 years ago in July of 1996. I had finished my term of service for the army. I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, and decided at midnight that I would outprocess and travel back to Wisconsin. All day, I was so anxious to go that I actually had trouble sleeping. Finally, at 23.45, I got out of bed and went to sign out with the desk sergeant. Of course, knowing people wanted to sign out at midnight, he decided to do his rounds. You can't actually leave until you get your final sign-off with the sergeant and turn in your room key. So I waited and I waited. And finally, at about 2.45, he returned. I turned my key in, got the sign off, and at 3.30, I was on my way. At first, I was so full of adrenaline that I felt like I could drive for days. Unfortunately, though, that adrenaline didn't last that long, and by the time that I was getting through Dallas, I was sort of nodding off. So I decided just past Denton that I should pull over at the next rest stop and take a quick nap until the sun came up. And at this stage, I could barely keep my eyes open when I came up to a stop. I pulled over and I got out of my car to get some fresh air and throw something away and to get a bit of a look at my surroundings. There were only about three other cars and two semi-trucks there. It was a, one of those picnic stops, I think, and not a rest stop, so no restrooms. But I threw my trash away and I glanced at a poster of a few missing persons, but I really didn't pay much attention to it. I went back to my car, which was a basic Geo Metro. No radio, no power windows, no power locks. I just cracked the windows and I turned on the boombox that I had for some tunes and lay down to get some sleep. Now, I must have been asleep for maybe five or ten minutes, I would say at most, when 
I felt my car shake just slightly. I cracked an eye open and looked and didn't see anything, so I just blew it off as maybe a gust of wind or something and went back to sleep. I then heard, though, what sounded like my door handle being pulled and scratching on the door key. I then sat up quickly, but I didn't see anyone there again. I looked at all the windows and I didn't see anyone. So, again, I sort of just shrugged it off as me being tired and I laid back down and turned up the radio. Being a Texas night in July, it was actually pretty hot, but I was so tired that I just laid back down. A few more minutes later, I heard the door handle again, though, and the car really shook this time. I sat up quickly, and I saw a man standing at the passenger side looking in. Even though it was really hot and humid, he was wearing a red sweatshirt with the hood up, and I couldn't actually see his face. Being young and stupid though and just out of the military, I yelled at him, what the heck do you want? He just stared at me, so like an idiot, I got out of my car, mind you I'm only 5'6", but man was I angry, and he just walked off towards the picnic tables like nothing happened. All the while, I'm yelling at him that if he came back that I would take him out. I decided at this point that I would just drive on from there. So I got back in and I just went on my way. And even though I was really upset, only about 10 miles down the road, I was just super tired again. Luckily though, about another 10 miles down I-35, there was another picnic stop. Not sure why North Texas doesn't have rest areas, but for some reason they just don't seem to. But I pulled into the second picnic stop and I backed into a spot just in case I needed to leave quickly again. Not sure why, but there was only one other car there and no semi-trucks this time. I again locked the doors, cracked the windows, and I turned on my boombox again. I fell asleep right away and about 30 minutes later, I hear a loud thud on my driver's side window. I jumped up and looked around, but there was nobody there. This time, I got out of the car, which was very stupid of me, but I had my macho military attitude going, but again, nobody was around. I sort of just assumed that it was my nerves from the other stops, so I got back into my car, made sure to double check the doors were locked again, and closed my eyes. This time, I was too amped to fall asleep though, so I just laid there with my eyes closed, when suddenly I felt like somebody was looking at me or watching me and so I opened my eyes and I saw that same guy standing there again with the red sweatshirt hood up I couldn't see his eyes but I could see that he was smiling at me this time I popped up quick and I tried quickly to open the door and bump him and being a cheap geo since the doors were locked it didn't open he walked backwards still staring at me and by the time that I got out he was about 30 feet away facing me it was fairly dark, but as I looked him over, he looked really skinny, but must have been about 6'2", maybe 6'3", but I still felt like I could take him with my military experience. He was wearing the red hooded sweatshirt, blue jeans, and green tennis shoes, and for some reason I thought the shoes looked a bit odd. And as I was standing there, I could see something shine every now and then as he stood there just sort of staring at me. I believed in that moment that it may have been a machete. 
I quickly reached into my back seat and grabbed my baseball bat and started yelling at this guy to come get some. I'm not sure why I did that, but he actually started walking towards me and I took a few steps towards him, not really thinking. As I got about 5 feet from my car, he was about 15 feet from me. A yellow van pulled up real quick and parked just off to the side of my car. I finally realized what was really happening and I saw two guys also wearing hooded sweatshirts in the van. Before they could get out, I ran back to my car. I had left the keys in the ignition. Since I had backed in, I was able to cut out a hard right and peeled my car out of there as quickly as I could. I was actually pretty lucky too because being a manual car, I didn't stall the car because the other two guys were out of the van and the first guy was just about to my car when I finally got out of there. I jumped back on the interstate and I didn't stop until I was about 20 miles into Oklahoma. I eventually stopped for gas and I used the restroom there and in the restroom I noticed that same flyer I barely glanced at in the first picnic stop. It was basically a flyer with like several missing persons on it and then I noticed too that it was warning people not to stop for long periods of time at the rest areas and it described a possible suspect as being possibly six foot, wearing blue jeans, green shoes and a red hooded sweatshirt and upon seeing that I went completely white. Needless to say since it was daylight, I just drove the rest of the way to Wisconsin, wide awake after that. To this day, I, I'm really not sure why, but I never reported it to the number on the flyer or told anyone about it. But I now live in North Texas and pass those two picnic stops every day on my way to work. And I must admit that I think about it quite often. I often wonder if maybe they got anyone else or if they were caught. I did try looking it up at one point, but I couldn't really find any stories about it on the internet. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.